0: Hi, listeners. Before we get to the episode, we want to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. This decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. To learn more about what you can do to help, go to podvoices.help. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word.
1: Hello there. My name is Jenny vasquez Newsome, and I am the guest host of Season 2 of Mission Megaphone, a podcast production of Growth Network Podcast. In this season of Mission Megaphone, we are amplifying the overlooked leadership experiences and expertise of leaders of color. These conversations will challenge traditional definitions of leadership, disrupting the status quo by centering the skill, ingenuity, and capabilities of impactful BIPOC identifying leaders from across industries. And I am so excited for my guest today, Angela Howard. Angela is an organizational psychologist and the CEO of Call for Culture, which offers a fresh take on workplace culture and consulting. Thank you so much, Angela, for being here. Thank you,
0: Jenny. Thanks for
1: having me on. I'm so looking forward to kind of digging into all things leadership, culture, workplace, all the things uh, with you and particularly with the lens through organizational psychology. uh, There's a lot to unpack and to think about. I would love to just start broadly, tell us a little bit more about what you do.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, you provided a, a great intro there. But my firm call for culture, we work on sustainable culture change. So we work with organizations to really translates behavior change within their organizations because that's all culture really is at the end of the day is behavior and uh, micro progressions over time. So we work with a variety of industries, uh, but we also have a community that we've started to build around offering this program and a cohort model, which I'm really excited about because I think we have a lot of like chief people officers, chief impact officers, sprouting in the world of work and so we have a methodology that we we use to help them and implement within their organizations too so and i also have a podcast we were talking about that earlier social responsibility at work a
1: lot of good important work (laughs) i imagine but a lot of work as well yes Uh, a lot of work would love to hear like your origin story like where Mm -hmm. you know who you are how you got into this how you got to today where did it all start
0: yeah, so I'll just start with, I guess, day one. I grew up in a area in Chicago called Rogers Park. It is one of the, the most diverse neighborhoods. If you Google it, um, I think it's something like 60 plus languages spoken. I'm multiracial, so my father is black and my my mother is Eastern European. So grew up in a multiracial household in an extremely diverse neighborhood in Chicago and worked through undergrad in Chicago uh, in psychology and human resource development. And it wasn't until I jumped into my graduate program in organizational psychology and then started to work in corporate America and kind of climb the ranks, right, like climb the ladder, that I realized that I was different than everybody else. It started kind of being a very different experience for me because I had grew up in this extremely beautiful, diverse environment. And then I entered these systems and started to realize that I thought differently. My philosophies were different. Um, People always couldn't relate to me or I was the only one in the room, especially as I climbed up into leadership positions. So I spent a good 15 years in corporate America exhausting myself doing that Mm -hmm. work and then realized that I I had the formula to this and uh, to culture change in particular. So I left my chief people officer job last year and decided to to hang hang my own shingle as they say <laughs> I love that I love that I love the
1: uh connection with how you grew up where you grew up you know just the those experiences and then the juxtaposition in like navigating corporate spaces and how it, it didn't like naturally translate and and really mm-hmm. the now as a result creating an organization that responds to that that makes that translate for so many of us that you know have have experienced different upbringings and and just different cultures that then how can we create corporate environments that celebrate that that acknowledge that and are aware of that and just bring that in so thank you for making that connection I love to hear, you know, you left corporate America technically last year. Um, I imagine that was a pretty pivotal moment, kind of reflecting on your own leadership trajectory. Can you, what are some of those moments that were like pivotal that, that really set you on this path? If there's anything else in addition to that moment last year?
0: Yeah. So. Oh my gosh there's so many so many pivotal moments i mean that was one for sure but i actually before i decided to make the full-time jump into my business uh, i was building it for about seven years so i was kind of behind the scenes knowing that i wanted to i had this entrepreneurial itch for half of my career really where i'm just like i know that i know there's a different way to do this i feel buffered uh, I feel like I'm kind of just hitting a wall every time I want to go a little bit further, or challenge a little bit more. So there were a few pivot points during, I'd say, maybe leading up to that seven years where I'm like, I've got to create something different. And then during that time. So I'll talk about the first half. You know, I think the first half was really, gosh, a pivotal moment. It was actually a, a personal event. My, mm. my dad passed away in 2015. Mm. And that was an absolute, I mean, you can imagine losing a parent, losing anybody that you love is is really hard, but mm-hmm. losing a parent right when I started kind of my first leadership role in corporate America uh, with a very large organization called Walgreens. It was like my first like big corporate job, uh, you know, really excited about it. And uh, I had this, this happened to me. And it really just put into perspective what's important. Um, I had worked in other corporate jobs before this, and I was kind of like that, like corporate titan, right? Like that—that that was the the thing to to brag about back then, back in my day. We would we would brag about being corporate titans. <laughs> now we're like naps. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I really had a jarring experience. It really put things in perspective. Thankfully the leader and the organization that I was at, at the time treated me very well through that process. I mean, it could have gone very, very different, um, but they trusted me. They, you know, there, there, were, there were culture elements that were built into the fabric of this organization and this leader and this team in particular that really showed me what good leadership looks like. Right before that job, um, I had some really horrible leadership experiences. So uh, leadership experiences that burnt me out. So there's kind of this juxtapose moment where it's like, oh, there is this is possible. And actually, this is really healthy, not just for the individual, but it also made me want to give more. So it it kind of showed me what leadership looks like and what support can look like. And then I started down this path of uh, entrepreneurship. I had my first taste of it through a company called Career Contessa. So Lauren McGoodwin, shout out to her because her and I talked probably around that time, and she was watching her uh, hire a mentor service. And I realized that, wow, this, I can make money with services and I can, and I have the experience. I was getting my degree in IO psychology, industrial organizational psychology. And I started working under that umbrella and started to coach women who were navigating a lot of a lot of shit at work. I mean, I don't know how else to say it, but especially women of color in particular, who I was coaching through navigating workplace. And that's when I realized that I was burning myself out again, but in a different way, because I was also experiencing those things. And then I was coaching these women and I realized I was getting them after they were already traumatized by work. And that's what really put me on the path of working on the system working with leadership working at the root of what actually causes some of these issues
1: i appreciate kind of the depth of the of the response because i think that's it touches on so many aspects of these conversations around untapped leadership around like how we're just you know a lot of times not doing this well uh really thinking about the the examples that you know spaces where leadership is good and is fulfilling and fills others and and just the impact that it has Mm -hmm. when it doesn't when when kind of reflecting on that journey and those kind of that juxtaposition and how you've experienced good leadership how would you kind of define it I know it's it's hard to get it's a big word like to define and there's so many definitions out there how would you define it if, if you think about good leadership
0: yeah, I, I think good leadership is less of less of a role. And I know we we've talked about this with with your community, and you know this idea of a leadership mentality is really how I would define leadership. Uh, I think a lot of times we think about leadership as a position or a place in an org chart, and I think we're just getting that wrong. Leadership is more of a capability anybody can build. and what you and how that manifests and what you do with that could look different in many different ways. But I think we all have an opportunity to lead. And I think the first thing about good leadership is being self-aware. One of the things we know to be true is that humans have bias. And the reason why we have bias is because we are just survival machines, right? We're kind of living a little selfish just generally because we're trying to survive and free up space in our brains to survive. I mean, we're very primal people, (laughs) you know, we're very primal beings. So we haven't evolved much but society has evolved around us. And so that's why we see things like bias come into play. So leaders are self-aware of their blind spots. They are constant learners about what they kind of prefer, but also what are the needs of the people around them. So I think empathy certainly is one of the words that comes to mind. Uh, And also equity, being able to apply solutions and needs to other people that may not look like what I need, but are what somebody else would need to have the same opportunity or to achieve success. I also think being able to get results through others is a a big part of leadership and doing that in an inspirational and psychological safe way. So creating psychologically safe spaces so people feel comfortable contributing, learning, and bringing their best ideas and their best selves to work or to any environment. Uh, And the last one is the ability to shape culture. So that is some of the work that that I do. And that's the biggest gap that I see with my work is this complete lack of knowledge on how to shape culture, how to think about people as a group and how we get results through through teams, but also thinking about organizations as a system and what are some of the things we need to be thinking about really at the bedrock of, of some of this culture and leadership work. So Those are just some things. (laughs) There's a lot like traits and characteristics underneath that. But those are some basics. I'd
1: love to explore the layers of that work that you do around culture and, and really the connection between leadership and culture, how with the organization you have worked with or just kind of the experiences that you've witnessed and for those listening kind of eager to know like what do i do in in trying to lead and change culture um, for wherever i sit what have you seen work well like what's kind of essential to making that shift really beyond like the self-aware leader to the like systemic work in it and then what have been like the pitfalls or the things that you've seen not work or that the, the common obstacles that you feel are just so present in our workplace systems that make this challenging?
0: So a long question, but we'd we'll love to just explore this a little bit more with you. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so for the first part, I think we romanticize culture a lot. We think about it as this like just like nebulous thing in the air that we can't touch and feel. And. And sure, it it, it could feel like that. But really, culture is just about matching our words with our actions. Um, When I help organizations, and really what I'm working with organizations to do is to move from intent to change to to impact. Uh, How does this actually show up? And the biggest gap that I see is just that, matching our words to our actions or not even understanding what our words mean in the first place. So there's a lot of people talking about inclusion and diversity and equity. And there's some people that I talk to and I'm just like, tell me what inclusion means to you. And they can't give me an answer. So how are you going to operationalize this within your organization? How are you going to get aligned as a, as a culture, as an organization? This is systems level change that we're talking about. So I think there's just lack of clarity um, and a lot of buzzwords and performative intent but not a lot of impact or even commitment for the impact. So the second thing I would say is commitments. Just don't pretend. Like, if something isn't important to you, <laughs> let's just have that conversation. That's that's okay. I mean, there's an audience for that, right? There, there are people who would want to work with you or work for you. But let's just be clear because we're spending billions and billions of dollars on DEI and and culture work, and it is it is like spaghetti on the wall. I mean, it exactly. is just it's, it's scary how much money we're spending. So I think being able to be strategic about understanding the reinforcement systems within an organization, things like how we're hiring, how we're rewarding, how we're evaluating and how we're holding people accountable. That is the thing on the other side of your question, which is what are some of the big gaps? Accountability is a huge gap with with leadership and this work. I think that we're very timid to hold people accountable or to say like that that was wrong and that's not okay. I think people have gotten leaders in particular have gotten away with some really bad behavior and have and have been successful. So we've created an environment where it's okay to be really talented and Good at your job, but you're you're just you're an asshole, um, and that and for some reason that's okay. So accountability, I think, is is the is the big one on the other side of your question there.
1: Yeah, I've experienced that kind of the toxic rock star that like can just destroy the path that they're on and yet receive the promotion, receive the accolades, and and without a blink. And I've heard that from a lot of different people. Like I, I think that this is you know uh, pretty prevalent. And I think, I think there was a Harvard Business Review article around like stock rewarding these people these are not leaders from your lens why do we keep rewarding like why does this persist and seem to be so pervasive in our workplace cultures like if you were to pinpoint it what is it
0: we have to remember that our workplace culture mirrors our societal culture i don't think a lot of people think about it that way they separate work from life but we're realizing you know the actual development of culture operates, behaves very similarly to culture that happens in society. And I'll just be honest, I think our value system supports that type of leadership. Look at our leadership at a government level, right? Or at a world level even. I think there is this construct of leadership that includes things like power and aggression and force and fear, especially in this country. We were built on it in many different ways. So That is the reason that it mirrors within an organization. And I think there are people who see themselves as having a platform to make some kind of shift or change. But it's very hard to do that in a system that just continues to reinforce and brings you back to the default. It's kind of like resetting your phone, right? You put all these different apps on it and you've changed it, you've changed the color, but you press that one little button and it defaults right back to factory settings. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like we're working on factory setting. And quite literally, you know, if you think about like the Industrial Revolution, and you think about how uh, work shifted at that time, and the, the type of behavior and changes that we saw, so the use of machinery, the assembly line, the widgets, time motion studies, it's very non-human. Um, and that has seeped into our workplace and into our society too. So I although not I got a really deep answer, but I think those, those two reasons are enough to really continue the cycle.
1: But that's why I think, you know, we need to like spend time unpacking why these cultures persist or these, you know, um, toxic workplaces persist. And if we don't understand why, then they'll continue. Um, and then, you know, we don't make any shifts around it, so so I appreciate the depth of your answers, because I think that's what we need to be digging into a little bit. I'd love to, you know, you and I have had a lot of conversations around leadership uh, and just rhetoric and what tends to be dominant narratives around leadership and kind of talked about some of those, like, underlying values of leadership that we may not name, but we do value as far as power and aggression and, and you know, just this, this aspect to it. I'd love to unpack with you, like thinking about today and our current narratives of leadership, and we see a lot of conversations around empathetic leadership, authentic leadership, you know, so much, so many words out there. <laughs> what do you think is a common misperception that we have, like, in this cur- current moment around leadership that maybe you haven't named just yet? If If there's anything, like really thinking about these popular narratives that folks are exploring and talking about naming as leadership, is there anything that we're misperceiving or mi- like a misconception that we haven't talked about?
0: So two things, one is, I think we have to talk about leadership as a, as a choice and it, that goes back to the position thing, right? So I think in workplaces in particular, we've created a um, system where, you know, you climb the ladder, right? Like that is the attractive option. And I don't think organizations are doing a good job creating multiple paths for people to express their leadership in different ways. So leadership doesn't Mm. always include taking on a team. It could be leading a project. It could be leading impact and activism within your organization, but working with communities. It could be so many things. And we're not leveraging all those paths. That's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, I believe that we have a big gap around this idea of like happiness at work and I was actually I, I did a podcast interview earlier this week and my guest was talking about how how he thinks we've like shifted the pendulum the other way where you know and again it's kind of the spaghetti on the wall thing right where it's like let's do all the things that make the people happy but we're not focusing on like the systematic things or the, the things that are really just rotting our culture from the inside. So mm-hmm. yes, all those things that you think are going to make your employees happy are not strategic, they're not focused, and you're completely ignoring the hard stuff because it's hard. I think that I don't believe the the role of leadership or the responsibility of leadership is to create happy people. Like mm-hmm. You've got to do that on your own, right? But I can, as a part of the experience that we're having together, I can understand what your needs are. I can align that with the needs of the organization. I can support you. Um, I have the responsibility to make you feel safe and that you're contributing to the organization. So I think this idea of like, we've got to make people satisfied and happy, like that's, you know, and then we're throwing things at the wall and like responding to every single nuance around making people happy I think that's a that's a myth. Um, we should be taking more of a strategic approach, but also giving leaders the skills to understand what people need at work. I, you know, even if, if from a friendship perspective, you and I, Jenny, like, I couldn't make you happy, right? Like, right. it's right. I wish I could, but um, it's it, that's a more holistic construct, and I think we're kind of construing happiness with making people feel safe and making them feel like they can have an impact within the organization.
1: I appreciate that distinction and that awareness that there is a distinction. You know, let's, let's be realistic, strategic and, and have impact nonetheless, because of those things. And I think that's what is actually more sustainable than the ping pong table or the lunches or whatever, throw in, insert activity or benefit here. At the end of the day, we want to come to work and feel like we're, seen valued and can offer something
0: yeah and fix your systems that are exploiting people i mean fix those things fix those things and you will you know the issue is there's a deficit happening right now where like organizations are sucking things from people they're sucking self-worth confidence livelihood like these are things that just happen like it's normal we've normalized it like you go home at the end of the day and you're just like oh my god i hate my job and like those are normalized and that's not okay. Those are the things we should be fixing. And those are the hardest things. It's very easy to, to throw spaghetti at the wall and say, let's get a ping pong table. Let's get a food truck. Let's give everybody a $50 bonus. You know, like those are just so short-sighted.
1: Yeah, that struck me that there's a deficit. Like the exchange is not equal. <laughs> the cost, yeah, you get your Sunday scaries, right? And then and it's like, no, <laughs> this is no way to be. I'd love to hear, you know, who, so who are leaders that inspire you? Like when you're kind of thinking about your leadership journey, who has had an impact on you or who do you look to now for leadership?
0: Uh, who are those those people? Yeah, you know, it's really easy to look at like celebrities or you know, people who are in the, the spotlight. But, you know, I, I like to, to to focus on people who like, I know in a multifaceted way because uh, you just don't know what's happening behind the scenes. I mean, I could easily say Michelle Obama, like her presence and the way that she handles herself um, and the way that she is able to get back to her core and, you know, all you know all those things, like, yes, I would love to be in the presence of Michelle Obama or Oprah. But it's people like like you, Jenny, honestly, who are building a business and creating an impact and doing that for social good and have passion and um, resilience, but also like conviction around this work. Like to me, that's, that's leadership. I look at my husband, you know, he's like one of the best human beings I know. And I got a chance to marry him, which is awesome. And he inspires me. He's like my hype man. Um, and to me, that's leadership, right? Someone who's behind you, supporting you and like reminding you who the F you are, right? <laughs> like constantly like reminding you because I'll tell you like even now you know I do speaking I'm I my confidence level is is still shot from working in corporate America where I have this like I don't know if you feel the same way but you have like this lack of confidence where it's like oh my gosh something's something's gonna go wrong someone's not gonna you know it's like it's constantly there and that's trauma um so those are just a few people that I look up to
1: the love is mutual and the respect is mutual. And and I appreciate the naming of how we have leaders that we look to all around us. Like it it doesn't have to be that big, you know, name or that big, you know, title, whatever that may be. Uh, We don't have to always look there that it's happening all around. Uh, So I I appreciate that that awareness of, of that. So I love to hear, you know, kind of thinking about, you know, this work is around untapped leadership, that we're like not tapping in to our full capacities, our full potential, um, a lot of times that is experienced by those marginalized from dominant cultures or, or you know, just th- those perspectives and in a lot of different ways. And we need, like, it's time to tap in. It's time to like expand and, and really think about how we can bring our full capacities to work and, and to our workspaces. What are a couple of things that you would want someone listening to this to think about, regardless of their identity, regardless of their where they are in their, you know, their work um, and their leadership? But a couple things to think about to uncover that untapped leadership potential, either within themselves or within others. What do you think are, are a couple of things that would be essential to, to do or to think about?
0: Yeah, I. The first thing would be to really tap into your intuition, and this may sound a little woo-woo, but uh, to tap into kind of that like deeply rooted, almost like ancestral intuition. And again, I know that probably sounds very meta for a lot of you, but it's really it really gets back to like honoring your history, honoring your past, honoring what makes you who you are, and not being afraid of how that resonates with somebody else. I mean, I spent literally a decade plus leaving the house and putting on a completely different face, leaving the house, putting on completely different clothes that I hated to wear, Um, leaving the house and like just like turning it on. Right. That is not normal and it doesn't need to be normal. So kind of this, this idea of code switching Regardless of what your identity is, I think uh, we have an opportunity to just throw that in the garbage. (laughs) So that's the first thing. The second thing is, I think, realizing that there are many different experiences we can have when it comes to working and contributing our talents. Uh, It doesn't need to be a full-time nine-to-five. It could be a full-time nine-to-five and a a side hustle, or it could be a part-time job and a project it could be volunteer work so crafting your contributions in a way that are is authentic to you and really fills you up. Mm-hmm. And the third one is just like setting your boundaries. Mm-hmm. Setting your boundaries and realizing that people who pass your boundaries or step on your boundaries, that's not normal either. <laughs> so those are the those are the three things initially that I can think of.
1: I love that, um, and really thinking about just the labor that happens. we really thinking about, you know, having spent ten years kind of presenting in a way that that doesn't align uh, with who you are, and how how taxing that can be. And then really that we need to put that need for that away. Like that that really just limits um, everything that that folks can bring. Uh, so thank you for calling that out. Um, actually I facilitate a session on code switching for organizations and it's just been fascinating to like unpack that. Cause I think it's been it's been normalized. Like we just do it uh, and we just don't even think about it. And, and over time it's detrimental we're leaving out
0: parts of us. And it goes back to empathy. I mean, I think the reason why you see a lot of, let's just say people of color, women of color, um, people who are underrepresented, historically underrepresented in the workplace you know, code switching is because we we are leading with empathy, but that empathy can turn into a loss of self. Mm. And there is an empathy gap. like I, I do want to remind people that if you if you are an empathetic person, you have to really monitor that <laughs> because mm. I, I tell my husband this all the time because he's a, he's a Pisces first of all. Super intuitive, emotional empathy I mean like he just like feels everything. And yeah. so he just I see him like trying to relate to people and, you know, be, you know, trying to put the extra labor in um, to empathize when that might not be necessary. Like you don't have to resonate with everybody. Uh, of course, it's its a it's a good thing to relate to people, but we don't have to like lose ourselves in the process. And so I think there is a there is like a line of empathy that can be like. In parallel with code switching, and I I don't have any research on this, but just from my own research and knowledge, I think you could probably find like a threshold where it goes from like being empathetic authentically, and then you get go into this territory of like you're losing or you're trying to resonate with something that you're you know isn't quite authentic to you.
1: Like really uh, being aware of the the cost or the the balance of that. Uh either way. Absolutely. So my last question for you and thinking about this year and kind of coming up on a you know, an anniversary of starting your your own business and now you know, really, this trajectory that's happening. What's your biggest ambition for this year? Like what? What are you up to uh, in this upcoming
0: year? Ooh, yeah, that's a great question. Well, first and foremost, I know this is something we don't talk a lot about, but I'm really focused this year on building wealth, which is something we don't talk a lot about. Um, And sometimes it's like a taboo subject. Um, And I'm so really focused. One of my values this year is wealth building. And I'm doing doing that not because I want things. You know, I don't want to like buy a Louis bag or something, although (laughs) maybe I will. But it's more about generational wealth. So I'm 35. You know, my husband and I are at the point where we're like, what does this future look like and i didn't come from a wealthy upbringing nor did he and so that's a big priority for us and that i think can be achieved through my business ventures so that's a means to an end there but also you know i think about my business as a platform for for impact and change and so i'm excited just to work with clients and to start to scale what we're doing so we're Um, working through some partnership opportunities this year. So not just serving our clients, but also building that cohort model that I mentioned and then building some partnership opportunities that will create more of a community around our methodology. And so our hope is to start to license out the methodology and to scale it in ways that we wouldn't be able to do, even if we were a a company with lots and lots of employees. Uh, We wanna see other firms using it um, and then we're also going to be launching our speakers network, where we're actually going to be focused on kind of be an agent of sorts, because we get a lot of speaking opportunities, and it got to the point where I'm like, I I want to share <laughs> I want to share this wealth, right? And in particular, we're we're focused on historically underrepresented voices in the areas of leadership, culture, uh, and so we want to amplify those voices through our speakers network and and provide opportunities for everybody. So those are just just a few things. Yeah,
1: just a few. No big deal, Uh, but huge also. And I, you know, I want to double tap on this concept that we don't talk about like generational wealth and wealth building and, and, you know, it can feel taboo or can feel disingenuous. And and, and, like, no, we have to kind of stop that narrative. I, I agree with you. And it is possible to do good in this world and do well. Like, and I think we deserve that. And particularly with the work that you're doing and really shifting and making work work for people, that is like essential. Um, And so I am so thrilled for everything that's coming with your work and, you know, our connection and really just the work that you do to just amplify untapped leadership. In the organizations that you support, because I think it just is embedded in in that process of kind of uncovering the full potential, the full potential that culture can then foster and like cultivate in itself. Where can folks connect with you? Where where can folks kind of follow with you? Um, you know, on socials or website. Where where do you want to add so that folks can find you?
0: Yeah, so we're on Instagram and uh, LinkedIn at Call for Culture. So you can follow our page there. And then if you want to connect with me personally, um, I'm on LinkedIn under Angela R. Howard and on Instagram um, at Angela R. Howard CFC. And then you can check out our podcast. So if you want, if what you hear today is interesting and you want to hear more, we have a podcast as well called Social Responsibility at Work.
1: Thank you so much, Angela, for this conversation and for everything that you bring to this world. It's such a pleasure to just have dug into this uh, with you today.
0: Thank you so much.